Hey everybody, it's Pastor Brian, campus pastor at Mount Hope in Belmont, Massachusetts. It's great to talk to you again. Last week we started a new sermon series that we are calling Rebuild. Listen, all of us have been at the place in our lives before where we feel like we have to rebuild a piece of ourselves. The question is, how do we do that? And how do we do it as people who say we follow God? How do we rebuild our lives the way he wants us to? We're answering that question, those questions, through this series, and we're doing it as we look at the story of a man named Nehemiah, a guy who lived about 400 years before Jesus was on this earth, uh, and he did a big rebuilding project of his own. And so we're looking at what he did and how God used him, and then applying it to our own lives as well. This week's sermon was on dealing with opposition. Whenever you try to rebuild a piece of your life, someone is going to come along and oppose the work you're doing, even if it's good work. That can look like a lot of different things. But how do you deal with it? What do you do in that situation? We answer that question in this sermon today, and I hope you listen closely, because I believe that God has something he wants to say to you. As we get started this morning, I have a question for you. If you were with us last week, you know we started a new series that we're calling Rebuild. And we're asking ourselves this question. All of us get to the point in our lives where we feel like we have to rebuild something in our lives. Uh, It could be relationships. could be a spiritual walk. It could be our character. It could be our reputation. It could be uh, that we need to rebuild a career. Whatever it is, we all get to the place in our lives where we feel like things have been knocked down and we need to rebuild. And the question we're asking ourselves is, how are we supposed to go about doing that? And the bigger question that we're asking is, if we're people, if you call yourself someone who's a follower of Jesus Christ, someone who wants to do things the way God wants you to do them, then how are we supposed to rebuild our lives the way that God wants us to do it? And we started this discussion last week, and we're going to continue it this week. And the question that I have for you this morning is, have you ever in your life tried to do something that you knew was the right thing to do or was a good thing to do and been surprised when someone around you opposed you? Have you ever had a time in your life where you've tried to do the right thing? You've tried to be the good person, tried to do the right thing, and someone else, and you've been surprised, someone else comes along beside you and tries to shut you down and stop you from what you're doing. Maybe it looked like that you were in elementary school And the teacher was asking everybody to do certain things and follow certain rules. And you were the student that always did the right thing. And so if the teacher asked the class to be quiet, you'd be quiet. And if the teacher asked for an answer, you'd raise your hand. And you were doing the right thing. You were doing the good thing. But there were all these other kids in the classroom that would maybe laugh and snicker in that and maybe call you names or point you out because you were the person who was willing to do the right thing. And that can be surprising to us. We've probably all had that experience before. We're going to make our life better. We're going to make a good life decision. We're going to start a new project. We're going to donate some time and some money. We're going to try to do something that is good. We're going to try to do the right thing. And all of us have probably had the experience in our lives of trying to do the right thing, trying to make a good life decision, and having someone around us stand up and try to stop us and oppose us. I remember when Lori and I uh, were engaged to be married. I was finishing seminary, and I was working an early morning shift at a, at a shipping company. 
so we would load all the trucks that were going out to make deliveries that day. And I had worked there for a number of years, and so I had gotten to know my coworkers fairly well and the managers. And Lori and I had uh, gotten engaged over the weekend, and I came back to work that next early Monday morning. And I shared with a couple of people that I had gotten engaged to be married, and I was excited about that, as I should have been, and hopefully Lori was excited too. I'm not quite sure. But uh, we, you know, I shared that I was excited. I was engaged to be married. And most people were congratulatory. They said, you know, that's great for you. But there were a few people, a few people that kind of took me aside and said, and said what, what on earth are you doing? You're a young guy. Why would you throw your life away like this? And I thought that they were kidding. I thought that was a joke, but they were not kidding. They were being serious. This was their advice. And it was one of those times in my life where I thought, man, I'm trying, I'm doing the right thing here. I know I'm doing the right thing. This is a good thing that's happening. And it can be surprising sometimes. Maybe you're trying to make a career move that you know is a good career move. And someone is telling you uh, this is, that it's a bad idea, but you know it's the right thing to do. It can be surprising when people step into our lives that way and try and oppose what we know is the right thing to do or a good thing to do, but it happens to us all. It doesn't just happen when we're trying to do the right thing or the moral thing or the upwardly mobile thing. If you're someone that calls yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're someone who follows God and tries to do what God wants you to do with your life, then I don't really have to convince you. I don't have to spend a lot of time arguing the fact that if you're going to go out into this world and to live the way Jesus calls you to live and to try to do the things that God wants you to do, you can know you're doing the right thing and know you're doing the thing that God wants you to do. I promise you at some point, someone in this world is going to oppose you and try to stop you from doing what it is that God wants you to do. It's going to happen. And I think that can be surprising to us sometimes, can't it? Maybe especially early on when we decide that we're going to follow Jesus with our lives. We think, if I'm going to do everything that God wants me to do in my life, then life should be easy. If I'm going to do everything that God wants me to do, and I'm going to do what, what the Bible tells me to do, then life should get easier. And what we go out there and find is when we try to do the work that God wants us to do, people oppose us. People stand up against us. And that can be surprising to us sometimes. And the question we're going to talk about this morning is when that happens, what are we supposed to do? Because it's going to happen in this world that people are going to oppose those who want to try and do what God wants them to do. In fact, uh, the Bible tells us, and some of the folks in the Bible tell us that we should pretty much expect it to happen. John, who was a disciple of Jesus, he put it this way in 1 John 3. He said, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised, brothers, when the world hates you. Don't be surprised about that. That's not a, that shouldn't be a surprising thing to you. If you're going to follow Jesus and do what he wants you to do, don't be surprised. Uh, someone's going to try to oppose you. And even Jesus himself told us that in this world we'll have troubles. In this world there'll be troubles. Now that's a pretty broad term. But underneath that and within that, and if you read the rest of what Jesus is saying in these verses in John chapter 16, you can see that Jesus is talking about the fact that there will be people that because you're following me are going to try to oppose you. Sometimes that can be surprising to us. I'm doing what God wants me to do. Why are so many people against this? 
But John and Jesus remind us we shouldn't be too surprised that if we follow God and do what it is he's asking us to do, someone's going to stand up and oppose us. And we know what that feels like. Last Friday, my wife was telling me the story of my daughter, Caitlin, who's five years old, was at her ballet class. And she was talking to one of the teaching assistants in her ballet class, a girl that's about 14 or 15 years old that helps out in the class and and helps them learn all their dances. And so we have the event of the century coming up in May, which is the dance recital, which is going to be a very exciting thing. And so my daughter was sitting next to her teaching assistant, and she asked her, she said, when is our recital again? What day is it? And the assistant said, you know, Caitlin, I can't remember exactly. I know it's in May, and I know it's either a Saturday or a Sunday. And Caitlin right away perked up, and she said, oh, well, if it's Sunday, I can't go because I go to church on Sundays. And, and she said, if you could make it after church on Sunday, that would be better. If you could make the recital after church on Sunday, that would be better. And her teaching assistant kind of laughed and said, Caitlin, I'm sure we'll figure it out. Now, here's what's going on inside of me when I hear that story. On the one hand, I'm pretty excited that my daughter likes to come to church on Sundays and doesn't want the dance recital to interfere with that. On the other hand, I know that right now at five years old, she's very innocent. And there's going to come a day in her life where she probably won't be as vocal in the moment, or at least she's going to have to pause and say in her head, is the backlash I'm about to receive or the weird look I'm about to receive or the talking that's going to go on when I leave the room worth mentioning the fact that this event is going to conflict with church, which is important to me on a Sunday morning. And one day she'll realize that that opposition exists in this world. But we all know it exists, and we all feel that tension. When we're going to do the right thing or do what it is that God wants us to do or be involved in in doing what Jesus Christ asks us to do, there are going to be people in this world that are going to oppose us. So what in the world are we supposed to do? Well, if you remember uh, last week, if you were with us, we started this story of a man named Nehemiah who is an Israelite, a person of Jewish descent, who is working on a big project to rebuild parts of the city of Jerusalem. Nehemiah lived about 440 B.C., so about 440 years uh, before Jesus was on this earth. And what had happened is the city of Jerusalem had been destroyed by the Babylonians. And now there was a new group of people in charge of that area called the Persians. And even though the Persians were rulers and captives, they allowed the Israelites some freedom. And they allowed them to go back to the city of Jerusalem, which had been totally demolished. The temple ruined. The city completely broken apart and began to rebuild. And so here's this man, Nehemiah, the hero of this story we're walking through over the next few weeks, who goes back and begins this work of rebuilding what is left of the city walls and the gates that were once around the city of Jerusalem. Now, Nehemiah is doing a good work. In fact, we talked about this last week. He's doing God's work. He says very specifically, the Lord was with me. 
That's why this Persian king allowed him to go and to leave his post, a high post that he had within the royal palace, and go off to the city of Jerusalem and do this giant project. God was with him. That's why he was allowed to do it. But as we're going to see in these next few verses in chapter 4, just because he was doing what God wanted him to do doesn't mean that there weren't those who were opposing him and trying to stop the work. Here's what happens in chapter 4 of Nehemiah. We're going to start in verse 1. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and the burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building. If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and do not let their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. So who are these characters? This Sanballat and Tobiah. Well, these are other leaders within the region, other governors within the region. So you have to picture that Persia is in charge, this empire, the Persian empire, is ruling over this large area of land. And just like we have states with governors, they had areas of their empire that were ruled by governors. And Sanballat and Tobiah are governors underneath the Persian empire in the area around the city of Jerusalem. At the beginning of this book, a couple chapters earlier in chapter 2, when Nehemiah first decides to go and gets the king's blessing to go and do this project, we, see, we hear about Sanballat and Tobiah. And they are angry, the verse says, that anyone would care about the well-being of the Jewish people. Because you might ask yourself, why is it that these guys are so angry? Why would they want to stop this work? Why would they want to put it all, why would they want to stop this thing from happening? I think what you see come out in chapter 2, when they're angry that anyone would seek the well-being of the Jewish people. I, see what you, I think what you see come out in what they're saying here in these verses we just read in chapter 4 is something that happens in our world today. You have people that were in charge, the Babylonians, and they completely decimated a group of people, left their city in ruins and scattered the people. It was a loss of a city. It was a loss of culture. And now you have within the ruling class groups of people who have always seen the Israelites and the Jewish people as less than. 
They've always been the people under exile for as long as these people have been alive. They have always been at the bottom of the socioeconomic run, rung. They've always been the ones who were scattered and dispersed. And I think there's a, there's a, a race factor here in what they're saying. I think that there's a socioeconomic factor here in why they don't want to see this happen. Because if the Israelites band back together and rebuild their city, all of a sudden they're back in the conversation as an important group of people. And for the people that are in control, the Babylonians and now the Persians, they're more than happy to leave them uh, on the bottom of that scale rather than see them rise up. And so Nehemiah faces this opposition, even though God is with him, even though this is God's project. So what in the world are they to do? You see, at the end of those verses, it goes up a notch. At first, they were just bullying. They're just sneering and jeering. Tobiah says, look at that wall. If a, if a fox ran on that wall, it would fall over. I think that had to sound better in his head than it did when it came out. <laughs> they're just jeering. But by the end of those eight verses, they're threatening violence against the people. And so Nehemiah faces this crisis because what happens is the people start to get nervous. They have no defenses. That's why they're rebuilding the wall. They have no defenses. If these people, these fellow governors, decide to attack them, they're in big trouble. And so Nehemiah faces a crisis here in this project. And Nehemiah is exactly where you and I often find ourselves, trying to do what God wants us to do trying to be uh, the spouse that God wants us to be, trying to be the, the husband or the, or the wife that God wants us to be, trying to be the, the parent that God wants us to be, trying to be the worker, trying to be uh, the friend, trying to be the person that God wants us to be. And people come along and oppose us in our lives. What in the world are we supposed to do in that moment? And Nehemiah, what he does is he gathers all the people together. He gets them all together and he stands up in front of them and in one verse, I think he gives us everything that we need to know about what you and I are supposed to do when we face opposition. This is what Nehemiah says in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. I think in that one verse, Nehemiah gives us the blueprint and gives us the framework for how you and I are to respond when we find ourselves in those moments where we're trying to do what God wants us to do, but it feels like opposition is all against us. And the first thing that you and I need to do is you and I need to trust God and remember who he is. We talked last week, and we said that for Nehemiah, this project was never about a wall. It was never about a wall. The wall was symptomatic of something much larger that had happened. Meaning God made a covenant with his people a long time ago through people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that had lived hundreds and hundreds of years previously. That he would always be the Israelites' God and they would always be his people. And when Nehemiah looked at the broken down city, he didn't just see stones scattered about. He saw a 
covenant and a relationship between God and his people that was in pieces. And for Nehemiah, just rebuilding the city was always part of a much larger story of redemption that God was writing through his people. And you and I have to remember, too, in our lives that the God that we serve is so much greater and more powerful than anyone who might come up against us. That there is nothing that could possibly come up against us in our desire to live a life that brings God glory. There's nothing that could be thrown in our way that could ever be bigger and more powerful than the God who we serve. And Nehemiah gathers the people together and he says, remember the God who is great and awesome. Their threats of violence, their comments that they're making against us, those in no way change who God is. This is still the God who created the world. This is still the God who brought you out of Egypt. This is still the God who loves you and has promised to take care of you. And for you and I, no matter what happens in this world, this is still the God who has promised us a relationship with him. This is still the God who has promised us when we leave this world that we'll be with him for eternity. And when we try to live our lives for him and opposition comes in our way, we need to remember The God who we serve is great and awesome. And no matter what happens in this world, there can be nothing that could come up against us, either individually or corporately, that would change that fact or would be too big for our God to handle. So Nehemiah gathers the people together and says, listen, trust God. He's on our side in this. And the second thing that Nehemiah says to the people is he says very simply, trust God and do your job. Trust God and do what it is that God has called you to do. Listen, if you know anything about me, you you knew I had to work this into the sermon somehow. Uh, Last Sunday night, I don't know if anyone saw. Uh, But there was a moment when the Patriots were playing in the Super Bowl that they encountered some severe opposition. Uh, I, was, I was talking to uh, Lester earlier, and Lester was telling me it was one of the first NFL football games he's ever watched. And he said, I'm not sure exactly what was going on, but I knew when I looked up and it said 28-3, that was not good. And I said, Lester, you're absolutely right. That was not good when the score said 28-3. But it, you may have heard this before. The Patriots have this famous phrase, right, that they, they put on everything around. It's on hats. It's around the stadium. It's in all their offices. And that phrase is simply, do your job. No matter what, do your job. And it's effective. I've, uh, in this past week, I've watched somewhere between 100 and 150 hours of coverage of the Super Bowl. And uh, one of the things I just happened to catch uh, is, is that the 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 footage of the mic'd players, the players with the microphones on. And one of the things that really struck me is that even when the Patriots were down by those 25 points, what was being said on the sideline? I can tell you what I was saying. I was saying it's over, it's hopeless, I can't believe it, I can't believe they're going to lose this team by this many points. But on the sideline, no one was saying that. On the sideline, it was, we have this, keep doing your job. Keep doing what we're supposed to be doing. This will turn around. This will work. And I was impressed by that. And I think about where Nehemiah and the people are. 
And that's exactly what Nehemiah is saying to the people. Listen, God is on our side. I don't think the Patriots had God on their side, but, but I think God's neutral. But God is on our side when it comes to football. God is on our side. God is on our side. So keep doing your job. Keep building. Keep fighting. Keep doing what you are supposed to do. And that's exactly what Nehemiah says to the people. And listen to what they do in the next verse. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And what we see in these next few verses is this picture of the people working with a weapon in one hand and a trowel in the other. Continuing the work on the wall, continuing to do what God had called them to do, and if it came down to it, willing to fight for the work that God had given them to do. And I think what we get in that is the picture that you and I are supposed to have of how we're supposed to respond when God calls us to do something and people step in the way and oppose the work that God has called us to do, either as individuals or corporately. That we need to remember who God is and trust him. And no matter what is being done, we need to continue to do the work that God has called us to do. This is exactly what Jesus Christ modeled for us in his ministry. When Jesus was here, he was here doing the work that God had given him to do. He faced strong opposition from religious people. And people who ultimately had him executed. But he always remembered who his father is. Who sent him down to this earth to do the work. And no matter what he faced, he continued to do his job in the story. And thank God that he did so that you and I might have an opportunity to be saved, that you and I might have an opportunity to have a relationship with God, because when Jesus was on this earth, even though he faced strong opposition, and even though we see points in his ministry, especially in that garden, just before he was crucified, where he is struggling with the opposition he's facing and the work that God is calling him to do, but he continues to remember who his father is and do the job that God has sent him to this earth to do in spite of the opposition that he faced. And Nehemiah sets the vision for us, and we watch Jesus carry it out to absolute perfection. And so you and I, when we face opposition, we need to do the same. Remember who your God is and keep doing your job. In every movie where you have a group of people facing long odds, you seem to have this scene, don't you? You have this one scene in the movie where whoever the leader is gets up in front of everybody else and has this Nehemiah moment. It's the scene where William Wallace is on his horse going back and forth in front of the army giving that speech. It's the scene that's in almost every sports movie I've ever seen. It's Denzel Washington at Gettysburg in Remember the Titans. It's Gene Hackman in Hoosiers talking to his team. In every movie uh, where there's an army or a team or a group that's facing long odds, it happens, one of my favorites, of course, is in The Goonies where someone gives this speech. 
And the speech is always the same. And it's just what Nehemiah did. The person gets up in front of the people and says, listen, I know that we are up against long odds. But here's what you and I need to do. We need to remember that our fight is for something much bigger than ourselves. And we need to continue to do the work. That what we're doing here is for something much greater than ourselves. And we need to continue to do our work. And the same is true for you and me as we seek to follow Jesus Christ in our lives. Listen, I don't know what the opposition looks like for you. The opposition that you face could be the fact that someone in your workplace figured out that you're one of those evangelical Christians that they only heard about on the news. And now that they figured out that you're one of those people that found God or was born again, or they're not even sure what phrase to use, they're clearly avoiding you in the hallways in the office. Maybe your opposition is the fact that you're sitting in a classroom right now where a teacher or a professor so berates people that would have faith that you'll never raise your hand and say anything because you're afraid of the backlash that would ensue. Maybe your opposition is you feel like you're trying to do what God is telling you to do, but nobody else in your family seems to understand. Your spouse doesn't seem to understand what God's doing in your life. Your kids don't understand. Uh, Your parents don't understand. And you're trying to do what God wants you to do, but there's these people in your life that are fighting you against it. I don't know what opposition looks like for you, but I can promise you that if you're going to live the life that Jesus Christ calls you to live and you're going to do what God wants you to do, that opposition will come. John, that disciple of Jesus, he told us, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. It will happen. And when it happens... Remember who your God is, a great, awesome, powerful God, and continue to do the work that he's called you to do. Hey, thanks again for listening to this sermon from the Belmont campus of Mount Hope. If you live in the Belmont area, we'd love to have you join us each Sunday at 10 a.m., or if you'd like to know more about Mount Hope Christian Center with campuses in Burlington and Belmont, Massachusetts, you can visit our website at www.mounthope.org.